0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Rommel. So, in between games here, obviously coming off a huge overtime win over the Atlanta Hawks where they had so many incredible performances from so many other players. It's uh, kind of take time to take a step back uh, in anticipation of the Lakers matchup that will be happening this Friday. So, as I said, in between games and kind of a, an opportunity to answer some questions, look at some things that are happening or things that are going on in the periphery. And one of the things that i had been neglecting during my move and everything else that's been happening is getting some email questions. So this isn't an official mailbag, just some questions that have been trickling down there uh, and been unnoticed over the last couple of days. So I thought it was time for me to address a couple of them. And uh, one in particular comes from Billy from Cleveland, who writes in, uh, using the subject line, and this was what really got my attention here, Knicks suck as an organization. Wow. And he writes, You don't hire a quality coach and then put bad players around him and expect to turn losers into winners. Everyone but the Knicks believed that they were going to be an awful team this year. So, do the Heat offer Fisdale, David Fisdale, who was recently fired as head coach at the New York Knicks, of course, a job in some way, shape, or form, since he was originally part of the organization, or is this a thing where once you're a head coach, you don't want to take a step back? He may have had a 50-51 and 51 record with the Grizzlies, but in total, he has not done a great job as a head coach with a 7 1, 71-134 to 134 overall record. But LeBron and many other players have raved about him and stand by him. Thoughts? Well, a lot to get into here, but um, just something worth uh, mentioning here. That, uh, yes, the Knicks have not been handled well for decades, so Billy... Absolutely right that the New York Knicks as an organization have struggled so many different ways to look at it Uh, I know many people have kind of Targeted the front office the newest front office because there have been so many front offices over the years But the reality is and I think Howard Beck has been the most vocal and accurate Critic of owner James Dolan because he is ultimately the voice for the organization look Mickey Harrison is a voice that you don't hear from very often, unless you're recruiting a LeBron James or another superstar player. And even that, I'm not sure, happens as much anymore. I think you probably roll out the red carpet and and have Mickey show up for a Yanni Kumpo or somebody along those lines. But other than that, I don't think he's attending every free agency meeting because you've got Pat Riley, because you've got Nicky Harrison, his son, because you have other voices in the organization that are consistent and, and represent the organization well and, and consistently. And, and that's something that I cannot get away from and stray uh, you know overstate how important that is because where the Knicks have lacked over the last few years, well, decades now, and that's reality, is that there has not been a consistent vision. There hasn't been a consistent goal for that team. There hasn't been a clear strategy for how to build it to overpay players, to overplay the wrong players, to draft the wrong players, etc. You had a potential star in Kristaps Porzingis. And yes, there were off-the-court issues that may have been lingering around the organization. One, his own potential legal troubles and his upcoming contract situation and things of that sort. But you have a superstar player. You trade him for the hope of getting into the lottery, and then you don't draft the right player. Not to say R.J. Barrett won't be a good player in 5, 10 years from now. But you have a player. The whole point of, of blowing up a, a, a roster so that you can get a top player is to acquire a player as good as Kristaps Porzingis. So that's just the, the latest indicative indication of how dysfunctional that, that franchise has been. But I'll also say that there might have been a very, very slim chance that the roster could have played better this year. I know a lot of people looked at their glut of power forwards and there have been some problems with that. But they were good players, and I think the overall, maybe maybe people were trying to kind of blind themselves a little bit or delude themselves somewhat, and, and say that look, when you're when you have so many players on short-term deals, which is basically how this roster had been constructed, along with RJ Barrett, Dennis Smith Jr. and other people that kind of look to uh, you know prove themselves in the organization in the, within the league context too, is that. When you have so many guys trying to prove themselves and and not have guaranteed money in in the long run, you can find a way to play together. You can find a way to bond and say, you know what, we've got to be a great team because that's how we're all going to wind up getting paid. Instead, the exact opposite has happened where you have players that are struggling, that are looking to put up their own shots for their own gratification and it's turned into a big dysfunctional mess. Look, I, I, I totally understand why when you're on those short-term deals, you're, you're also looking for security. And it's hard to sacrifice your own production for the sake of others. And unfortunately, the pieces have not fit very well together. But that's the next problem. The reality is that this question is about David Fisdale and whether or not he could have been, a, a, might be a good fit for the Heat. And I'll say this. He is not a perfect coach. He had his mistakes in New Orleans. He had his missteps in Memphis. And I think those have come to bite him a little bit. And, and, you know, he was the scapegoat. He was the fall guy for this franchise. So it's not his fault. He was not fired because of whatever issues he might have as a head coach. And a lot of people, including Eric Spolstra, have said how important it is to kind of take time to build culture. You can't go there and immediately build culture. He had been there for just a year and a half and that takes time. And and that takes time because it starts at the top. And it happened in 1995. Well, think about that. In 1995, Mickey Arison became the, the principal owner for the Miami Heat organization. His first move, after his father had been the owner of the team or one of the principal owners of the team, was to go out and get Pat Riley, no matter what it took to pry him away from the New York Knicks. And... From that point forward, Pat Riley made moves with a clear plan. He said he wanted a hard-nosed center that would be the the cornerstone of this team. And he acquired Alonzo Mourning in exchange for a great player in Glenn Rice who wound up being an all-star player and and, and NBA champion for the Los Angeles Lakers. And so that's how you build culture. It takes time. So Fizzdale did not have that opportunity. He did not get that chance to build a culture, and he wouldn't have been able to because of the front office's lack of consistency because of the owner's lack of consistency with an overall vision and things of that sort. But as far as Fizdale's return to Miami and a possible connection there, he's a good personality, a good players coach, I think. Uh, he's an extension of Spolstra, and at least that was apparent during their tenure together in Miami. But he's probably also more of a, a good cop, dispose bad cop when it comes to dealing with players. I think is more of the, the heavy, and then you get Fisdale to kind of not necessarily smooth talk you but kind of play the, the in-between role and to get you to buy into Spolstra's vision and his you know his uh, his requests and his orders because he is the coach because what he expects what he expects from his players is a lot and and sometimes they're not willing to give that and that's the reality from guys like LeBron to everybody else and that's why when a LeBron James say I like David Fisdale it's because Fisdale was the one saying hey man look, it's important for you to do this. I know Spoh is kind of a hard ass. I know he's doing these, this and that and the other. You kind of need to buy into it a little bit if you want to prove successful. And of course, it did wind up being very successful for both LeBron as an individual and for the Heat as a franchise. But as far as coming back here, that's not a move that's going to take place in the middle of the season. Not when everything is clicking so well. When you have the players playing so well for these coaching staff. When you have everybody bonding and you have such a great chemistry and camaraderie in that locker room. You don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to overturn it. And and you don't want to add somebody like that. Uh, as good as Fisdale might be as an individual or as a go-between between you know players and coaches, he is not going to come in in the middle of the season and fit, fit that role. He's not going to be expected to do that. He can't do that. Uh, there's already established relationships. And it's also an insult to the coaches that are already here. From Dan Craig, who took over as head coach while Spolstra was attending the birth of his son with, along with his wife, Nikki, you know, but you also have Malik Allen here who was just brought in for his first season. You've got Chris Quinn here who's been a longtime assistant. You have all these different coaches here, and that's a tenure track that is supposed to go in the same direction over and over again. And you cannot ask them to accept the fact that David Fizdale will come back to his organization and immediately leapfrog them in that tenure process, in that rotation, and go to the top of that rotation. And so that's difficult to navigate. And I also think that, As far as Fisdale is concerned, that might not be the best thing for him. He's had problems dealing with, let's say, dominant and big personalities in Memphis. He had struggles, not necessarily with Mike Conley Jr., but with uh, Gasol, Mark Gasol in particular. And that probably led to Fisdale's firing from the Grizzlies organization. He had some problems with the Knicks and their personnel and also trying to get the most out of them. So why not take a page out of so many other coaches and and kind of take this time off you're getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money for the next few years grow as a a coach grow as a person off the court don't look for a job right away i think he's probably best served by taking something we've seen tom thibodeau do in recent years which is go from place to place to place learn from these coaches sit in uh you know be a, a consultant If you can, but also learn from these different organizations, not just in the NBA, but the collegiate ranks, in the football ranks, anywhere. Anywhere that you can understand the nuances of coaching so that you can become better at your job is probably uh, a good thing. And I I think, from the perspective of a lot of different experts on the field, having a wide range of, of understanding of hobbies and things of that sort can build you and make you a more well rounded person and probably behoove. Fisdale as a coach in the future. So I just don't see it happening. I don't see Fizzdale as a great fit right away. Unless a, an assistant quits or steps down or is fired for some reason, then you don't bring Fizzdale back. Unless Eric Spolster is retiring from coaching and you think David Fisdale is the next candidate in the line to take over. Otherwise, sorry, Fizz, you're not welcome back here just yet. Coming up next, is there a Warriors guard on Miami's radar? You're listening to Locked on Heat. If you're a spotify listener use spotify wrapped to show us your top locked on podcast for the year take a screenshot and tag us on twitter using at locked on live and at locked on heat and we'll share your tweet and we'll retweet it An option for a Miami trade. I'll talk about that later on the show, but for now, here's another trade scenario to consider. DJ Foster of The Ringer wrote a piece that published on Wednesday suggesting it was time for Miami to make a run for New Orleans Pelicans guard Drew Holiday. So I'll just say, first and foremost, that you know how I feel about trades. I've mentioned that a lot lately because I keep thinking that it might not necessarily be. The best move for Miami, not just in the long term, but also the short term because this team is playing so well, because you have such a a number of versatile scorers, playmakers, defenders, even guys like Justice Winslow and Goran Dragic have been uh, dealing with some health issues and haven't been able to contribute to their highest level. And because of that, uh, I just don't know that a trade works best for Miami at this point. But I will say Drew is a great player. He's a very, very good defender. He's a decent scorer. He's made the All-Star team before. He has not made it in New Orleans because, well, the Western Conference is deep with a lot of talented players in the backcourt, and it's going to be difficult for Drew to to crack that lineup. You know, Michael Connolly Jr., Jr., who I mentioned before, he's, you know, he's never made an All-Star team either, and he's been a long-time great with the Memphis Grizzlies, not with the Utah Jazz, and struggling in that role, but that's a whole other story. So Drew, a good player, very, very good fit, tenacious defender, fits in seamlessly with what Miami's doing. Um, He's not going to demand the ball a lot. He's going to be able to create immediately a very, very good perimeter-based defense there. He can switch on to a number of of different backcourt players and smaller frontcourt players. He's got quick hands. He'll create steals the way Jimmy Butler has and the way others on this lineup have. It's, uh, on the surface, he's a great fit there. He's a great teammate. He's great in the locker room. He's great off the court. He's great around the community. Uh, He's had... I don't know if you remember this, but a couple years ago, his wife, Lauren, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a benign brain tumor, and she was pregnant at the time, and so it was a very difficult time for Drew as a person. He took time off from the Pelicans uh, season to spend time with his wife, to be there for the birth of his daughter, and then uh, she had her tumor removed, And, and so... Drew was at one point taking care of both his newborn daughter and his recovering from surgery and the removal of a brain tumor, you know, and his wife was recovering from the removal of that tumor. And so he was handling that. So he's been through some incredible things off the court that have just made him a more well-rounded, capable person and a good personality for a, a locker room like Miami's who is playing so well. So he's not... He's not going to be a question mark in that regard. He's a hard worker. He's dedicated. He's done everything he possibly can to become a very, very good player. And so I don't see any kind of problems as far as fit is concerned. Uh, And moreover, perhaps there is a strong connection there regarding his agent. His agent is Jason Glushon. He's represented, among others, Joe Johnson and Duncan Robinson. And so those are two players that obviously have ties to the Heat. Joe Johnson at a point when... He could have chosen to go to any team, chose to come to Miami, and that's something that his agent negotiated. Uh, Duncan Robinson, you know, for a guy who went undrafted, Glushon pointed him in Miami's direction, and he came here, and he's turned into a hell of a player. You don't think his agent is appreciative of the fact that Miami has given two of his former clients at the very least, just these two clients in the past, an opportunity to prove themselves, one when they were at the end of their career and the other when they were just trying to look for an in and a start to their careers. I think that's a big plus. I could see Glushan trying to absolutely, if not force a trade, but maybe heavily suggest and steer Drew to, towards Miami. But, you know, Foster being a, a national NBA writer for the ringer sees the trade from a neutral perspective, as he absolutely should. And so for him, it's a matter of making sure that New Orleans gets something in return for their best player, one who's survived the Anthony Davis era and has been a solid overall player for years. And so his solution is that Tyler Hero has to be the basis for any trade because it works well to pair him alongside their generational talent in Zion Williamson. This directly from the Pete quote, from the Pete, sorry, quote, it might be overly simplistic, but give the best slashing big man prospect in college basketball history, Williamson, of course, a young shooter that you already can't leave open in here, 39 shooting 39% from three-point range, and let the pecking order play out naturally. The Pelicans could expand the deal to include J.J. Redick and Goran Dragic, who would be expiring salary for New Orleans, or he could be rerouted elsewhere, but a trade, and this is what his suggested, a trade of... Holiday and Jalil Okafor, who has again been long, long linked to Miami. He's worked out here in the past. Obviously, he was a former teammate of, of Justice Winslow, so that's a strong connection there. But a trade for Holiday and Okafor for hero, rookie Kendrick Nunn, and salary filler, let's say, Waiters and Deion Waiters and Myers Leonard would work. So. That's you know, that's DJ Foster's opinion and you know, I, I he's a great writer. I, you know, we follow each other on Twitter. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I understand that's perspective of, of trying to make a package that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Uh, for New Orleans, if not necessarily for Miami. And that's how I see it, is that this is not a good trade for Miami. You're giving up not just a potential future star in Tyler Hero, you're giving up a quality score already in Kendrick Nunn, you know, who's not making a lot of money. But you're also giving up on Myers Leonard, who's a starter, and another potential scorer off the bench in Deion Waiters. That seems like an awful lot to me. And I know that I, I think I could live with the, the trades of Nunn, Waiters, and to a lesser extent Myers Leonard, just because he's a starter and because he does provide some floor spacing and things of that sort. Nunn and Waiters are basically duplicates of each other. Aggressive scores, but heroes, long rune shooting is something that that's tough to reproduce. I don't know that you're going to get anything out of that. And if you're not including, if you're not getting J.J. Redick in exchange for Tyler Hero, then you're missing a whole heck of a lot of shooting. And so I can't see that being a good trade for Miami and at all. Um, you know, I, I might be in the wrong here. I reached out to some Pelicans media folks to see how they feel about it. I have not heard back from them, but I wanted to. Put this out there already and kind of get a sense of whether or not you all thought that a a trade for holiday would make a lot of sense and look i get it he's a great defender he's a great scorer. he can do a lot of good things he he fits in seamlessly all these things work out i just don't know that you're willing to give up tyler hero for an immediate impact and making a a whole heck of a lot of money too because he absolutely is he's making 26.1 million this year another 26.1 million next year and then in 2021-22, he's making $27 million. But it's a player option. I don't think he's going to give up that player option. I could I could see, look, I, I know the hope is you acquire Drew now, you work it out with his agent so that he takes less money in the future, maybe for a longer-term deal and a little security. And then you also pair him, potentially, with Yanni Abdecompo. Now that's something different. And I don't know. That's a huge vision there. I'm not sure if that's a realistic one. It would be great to think that there's some potential down the run, uh, but right now you're also giving up Tyler Hero. I'm not sure that this Heat front office is willing to make that trade. I, I know if you look at what what Pat Riley has done in the past, giving up on guys like uh, Karan Butler and Lamar Odom and others uh, in exchange for a, an established superstar. That's an established superstar. That's you know this isn't you're, you're if if you know he gave up on Josh Richardson to acquire Jimmy Butler. I could see that. The return needs to be greater than when you're giving up and I know that Tyler Hero is not a superstar right now But I also don't think that holiday is and I, I don't see this move playing out for Miami I really don't I know it's a big name. I know it's a fun name He's a, he's an interesting pr- prospect and because of his defense because of his fit and everything else like that I just don't see it working out unfortunately, and so uh, I know it's been tossed around a lot by a lot of people on he Twitter and everything else I just don't see it playing out So uh, if you disagree Feel free to send something via email. But coming up next, more trade talk. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on MLA as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts here on iTunes. Please leave a rating and review especially if it's a good one so the second potential trade scenario involves one with the golden state warriors sent in via twitter by miami heat finest should the heat make a trade for d'angelo russell it gives them an extra ball handler that they need in a core of russell butler and bam well that's certainly a core um Look, I, I didn't know exactly what to make of this scenario, so I reached out to none other than Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News, perhaps a name you're familiar with, Wes Goldberg, so that he could provide a little understanding of Russell's fit and if a potential trade could be worked out. First, Wes went into what Russell does well. He says he can get you a bucket whenever you need it. He plays at his own pace. He's developed into a good locker room guy for the Golden State, despite what missteps he had. During his tenure with the Los Angeles Lakers, if a lot of people recall, well, no need to go into too many details, but he did not uh, endear himself to a lot of his teammates. So as far as some weaknesses on D'Angelo's game, kind of struggles to play off the ball a little bit. He's not a guy who does not want the ball in his hands. And you've already got so many different players on this roster who need the ball in their hands. Justice Winslow, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, et cetera. Uh, He's not effective as an off-ball player because he kind of stands around and watches the ball a little bit, isn't looking to cut to the hoop or anything like that. And so he may not necessarily be the best offensive fit for Miami. He can also take some ill-advised shots. Uh, He kind of forces shots a little bit. He doesn't get to the rim as much as you'd think, and he settles for mid-range jumpers and floaters. Again, all of this is per Wes, a guy who watches him very regularly, obviously, in practice and in game situations. And he just does not maximize his above average size. You'd think he would be able to get to the rim more often because of that size and speed. He does not. He turns the ball over a lot. And defensively, he's just not as good at staying in front of guys on the perimeter. And so he's going to give up a lot of drives to the basket and things of that sort. As for his contract, this is not per West. This is just out there. He's making over $27 million this year, 28.6 million next year, $30 million the year after that and $31 million during the 22-23 season. So he's going to get paid a lot of money over the next four years. And moreover, at least per Wes's understanding of the subject, the Warriors aren't even looking to trade Russell this season. They'd probably have to get a huge offer from somebody to consider it. But let's assume that they'd be willing to talk with Miami just to unload Russell's salary, as a lot of people suspected when the Warriors first signed him during the summer. According to Wes, any starting point discussions would have to include Justice Winslow, plus the corresponding salaries to make it work, probably a James Johnson or somebody along those lines. Look, I know that uh, Winslow is somewhat of a divisive subject there. Uh, a lot of people can take him or leave, leave him. Uh, but you, you look at, again, uh, D'Angelo Russell was not very good with the Lakers. Yes, he's got ice in his veins and things of that sort. I get it. He's fun to watch. He can pull up for 25 feet, 26, 27 feet, knock down that three-point shot. But you're looking at highlights. This is not a highlight-based play league, you know. There are are times when you need players to be consistently good or solid or even just make smart decisions for for the 35 minutes in which they're playing. You don't need them to always hit the three-point shot with two seconds left in the game. You need them to not make that passer in the second quarter that leads to a fast-break opportunity that could just crush your spirits as a team. And so I'm not sure that D'Angelo Russell is that that type of player. And I I think Justice Winslow could be. Uh, I I think if for no other, you know, if you don't trust my opinion on the subject, think about Eric Spolstra who does not talk about anything but in association with Justice Winslow, his ability to make winning plays. And so if you trust Eric Spolstra as a good coach, if you trust this organization to make good decisions, to put a premium on quote unquote winning plays and know that Justice makes those, D'Angelo Russell probably does not. And so I don't think he's a good fit there. Given Miami's path to the playoffs and the expectations that they're going to make a deep run, maybe to the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe beyond that, you're not going to need D'Angelo Russell on this roster. I know you need a, a secondary shot creator, somebody who can get to the rim and things of that sort. But as we just heard from Wes, he doesn't get to the rim. He can't pull up for three. You've already got Duncan Robinson. You've already got Tyler Hero. You've already got Kendrick Nunn who forces way too many three-pointers. You potentially have Deion Waiters and Justice and James Johnson and a lot of guys on this team that can shoot to three-pointer. How many more three-point shooters do you need? I just don't know that DeAngelo is the best fit and I know what you are going to need when you're trying to stop the Adedicumpos or the Siakams or the Fred Van Vliet's or whomever you face in these next few rounds. Uh, Josh Richardson's Ben Simmons'. You're going to need a defender. You're going to need a guy with size, with strength, with switchability, with ability to run the floor and make plays for others. That's not D'Angelo Russell. You've already got that guy on this roster, and his name is Justice Winslow. So I just don't see the trade. If you're going to make a move of the two, and this is an interesting question, which do you prefer? D'Angelo Russell, maybe the better shooter. Just Drew Holiday, probably the better player, uh, certainly the better defender. And so I think Holiday makes more sense for this team. I just don't think that either of these trades are realistic. And maybe I should be, uh, you know, enabling all of you into thinking these are realistic trades. I know that trade discussions are fun. They're not going to happen. They're. I don't see Tyler Hero being sent to New Orleans for Drew Holiday. He's not the. That's not the kind of exchange that Riley has typically gone into over the course of his career. He's going to make. If he's going to make a lateral move, it's for somebody who's a better shorter-term fit, and I I just don't see that. You're giving up on a lot of potential greatness from Hero. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's how the organization views him, and if that's the case, they're not going to trade him for Drew Holiday. But, that's a topic for another time. Maybe it happens. Likely won't. Check back on Friday as we review the upcoming uh, matchup between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat. That should be a fun one, and we'll get, of course, a full recap after that, but that's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag heat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Rommel signing off and thanking you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Rock it up, man.